Bandwidth for January has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they are the best. Check them out at cashfly.com, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y, and let them know that you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm recording. I'm, you know, we've been over this a couple of times. I'm just not doing it. <laughs> all right. Well, here we go. Three, two, one. <laughs> We recorded this episode on January 17th, 2016. This is On The Grid, episode 150. Matt, where's the cream cheese? You ate it all. You only have that one little small container of cream cheese? On this episode, Andy's in my house. We're recording an episode together, and we're going to talk about natural ability and talent. Also, Andy ate all my cream cheese. You've got a beautiful apartment. Here we go. Hello, Andy. Our connection's breaking up a little bit. <laughs> Welcome to my living room. <laughs> I can barely hear you. you. You sound kind of like a robot. Are you plugged in or are you on your Wi-Fi? Because you're kind of... You're kind of going in and out. You'd think we'd stop doing this on Skype considering we're sitting right next to each other. Seems weird. Yeah, but, you know, we have brand allegiance. We, we believe in Skype. Yeah. It's part of the show's ethos. I don't understand how to... I can't understand you if you don't have a little bit of robot <laughs> We have voice. recorded in the same room before, but we've never recorded just staring into each other's eyes. Very weird. Because <laughs> the last time, we did still have to use Skype, because Dan was calling in from California. By the way, Dan's not here this week, so sorry about that, everybody. Uh, so we had to sit separate mics, opposite sides of your old apartment in New York, mm-hmm. and then we couldn't make eye contact because we were like, you know, 30, 40, 50 yards away. And we also were trying to record two tracks and do it a certain way, mm-hmm. which was very difficult. It didn't work. So today we're on one track. So if I make any mistakes, we're just going to have to deal with it. Just make your job very easy editing wise or very yeah. hard if you still insist on editing it. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have you no idea. I have no choice this time. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to just keep it conversational and let it go. Well, welcome to Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. You're probably more familiar with this place than I am. You grew well, up here well, kind you of, know, right? I never spent that much time in the city because, you know, suburbs. So yeah. I would say I was from around the Philadelphia area, but suburbs used to come in every once in a while we, the cool thing when we got in, we got into high school the cool thing became oh we'll get on a train and go into philadelphia for a while and what mm-hmm. we'd actually do is we would just like take cheesy pictures my friend mark's camera of what was, of like for like like literally we would come <clears throat> in and like take myspace profile pictures like the plan was we're going to go into philadelphia we're going to come back with a good picture to put on our myspaces it's big of you to admit that i mean i'm, I'm i have no shame <laughs> But yeah, so we would go, we take the, the regional rail in, the R5, and, uh, and we take it in to Center City, get out, look at some sculptures, feel like cool city people for an afternoon. Take a selfie with Rocky. Take a selfie with Rocky. Yep. Uh, Hometown hero, Rocky. Best athlete to ever come out of Philadelphia, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> the best um, real athlete to ever come out of Philadelphia. <laughs> so real. I wonder how many people don't know. That he's... If we, if we, just, if we did like a, an Andy Matt on the streets and we walked out of your apartment and just started talking to people... About like you know, do you know Rocky's boxing record? Like, he's based on know, a real do person. You know, do you know where Rocky was born? He's based on a real person. He's well, just what not. What person is he based on? I think there is a boxer named Rocky. A boxer named Rocky. A boxer. I named, bet at some point there Rocky. has been a boxer named Rocky. Mm-hmm. But it's, I didn't think it was based on a true thing. I don't know. Maybe it's not. Maybe I'm making that up. It sounds better. Does it? If if the the sports hero of Philadelphia is based on a real person and not totally made up, yeah, it does sound better. It kind of ruins our Andy and Matt on the street bit, though. Yeah, that I segment's guess it not going to make a lot of sense anymore. Well, we're going to have egg on our face. We had a hard enough time setting the mic up in my living room, so I hope we don't have to go on the street. It wasn't that hard. It was pretty easy. Okay, all things considered, could have been worse. Mm-hmm. Your your microphone is like the whole thing it looks like a part of a like Zord or something. I don't know what a Zord like, is. You never watched Power Rangers growing up? Yeah, I did. Well, they that was. The Power Rangers had Zords. Is that like a sword? No, no. It was the big robots that they were 
they could summon to when they had to do the final fight. Here's every Power Rangers episode. First, they get into fisticuffs with like normal like thugs, mm-hmm. you know, and there's some t- talking some trash. Then some weird demon creature appears in the desert uh, and is like, I'm going to destroy everything. I'm a weird demon creature in the desert. Uh, then somebody summons a giant monster and then the Power Rangers are like, all right, fine, time to get real. And then they each summon their zords and they would combine their zords together. Well, first they'd fight for a little while with their separate zords. So mm-hmm. like, you know, the... The one that was shaped like a like a fox or a wolf or whatever would yeah, fight, sure. and the one that was shaped like a bird. Then eventually they'd be like, "Oh, we're losing! Oh, the good guys are going to lose! This is such a dramatic arc, the narrative." And then they would combine all their swords into a megazord, which looked like a person. And you would sit there and say, "Why did they not just start out at megazord? Is there some sort of resource that's being expended? Can they not go right to megazord?" But then they put it together, and then somebody in a Megazord costume would punch somebody, and the ground would explode in front of mm-hmm. them, and they would jump backwards, and that's how Power Rangers ended. I remember every single part of that, except for it being called a Zord. What was it called in your in your memory? Nothing. I have no name for it. Just <laughs> it's, big... it's called a Zord. <laughs> Japanese robot monster. It's called a Zord. Okay. Uh, which is not a good name. They did a bad job naming things. Sounds a lot like a sword still, if you think about it. I think it's if you think about it, don't spend, think about it. Spend half a second and don't give it much thought. <laughs> if you know what words are. <laughs> And you were able to recognize rhyme. But yeah, this looks like a Zord. Hi, kitty. But cat on mic. Cat on mic. He doesn't care about our, our studio setup. We have the red light on. That means don't come in. Uh-huh. He kind of ignores it. Um, should we talk about a real thing then? No, we can talk about a real thing then. This would be a good time to continue to ham it up and just bullshit because we're in the same room. It seems like bullshitting should be easier. I guess so, but I have to look you in the eyes and there are consequences <laughs> to my actions. <laughs> <laughs> All of a sudden, it's a little too real. Yeah. I can't say anything too mean. Now, when you troll me, you're you're going to see my heartbreak. (laughs) You're going to see a little. Wait, pause. Here's the moment in which his heart breaks. Uh huh. Yeah. Ooh. Ah. Um, So, we we were were just at lunch. Again, pulling back the curtain. We're just Mm. at lunch, getting some nice. We're real people who eat food. food. That's true. We we do, believe it or not. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned something which I think is a very mad thing to mention, which is that. You, so you basically never cook, right? Like you're, you're pretty not much, much never. Cook. I would say once a year, I really put the effort in and I cook something, and it, and it and turns I think, out great. Right? I, think, I think it turns out great. <laughs> yes. And then otherwise, I don't cook. Basically, what you said was that uh, you know you don't cook, but if you did, you'd be great at it, <laughs> right? Like if you tried, you'd be great at it. Right? Now that now this is being broadcast to the world, I don't really want to admit that I think you don't this, really want to cop to it. I kind of yeah, I kind of think that if I put the effort in, I'd be pretty good at it. Mm-hmm. Don't you? But don't you feel the same way? Well, so, yeah, the reason I want to talk about it is that I think this is a thing you and I share. Oh, it's beautiful snowfall outside. It's finally snowing here. It's magical. Um, I think it's something you and I share, which is that I don't really believe in, like, intrinsic talent. Right. Right. I don't believe that, like, you're born and just like, oh, you're born a great cook, or you're born a great graphic designer, or you're born a great whatever. Right. Um, and if you don't believe in that, then you kind of also have to believe that if you really wanted to get good at something, you just could. It would take a lot of time, maybe. Maybe you wouldn't enjoy it, but you could just get good at something if you wanted to. And I, I do believe that, yeah. uh, which, you know, I, I, even, you know, there's certain like physical limitations, right? Like I probably couldn't be a great basketball player because. Yeah, like, I do believe that there are people who are, <laughs> that you might have physical limitations. Well, I mean, uh, do you, I, you share this, right? You share this opinion? I kind of think that if I put enough time in, I could be good at it because I don't think I'm inherently good at anything. I just have things I spend a lot of time at and therefore I got better at. Yeah. And I think that the reason, the thing that people I think oftentimes misconstrue for like intrinsic talent is just some thing about a person that makes doing all that work 
more easy, more fun, more natural. Yeah. Like if you're just the type of kid that like loves to rollerblade and you know hit the hockey puck around in the in your backyard, then you will end up being better at hockey than somebody who didn't enjoy doing that. Sure, but it's not necessarily because you were born great at hockey; it was you were born enjoying that, and therefore you did it a lot and got good at it. Yeah. Um, but this is, I always can we always sort of vacillate because I intended to come into this conversation and talk about that, but then you said. Sure, if I'm only, you know, five foot ten or I'm only, you know, a certain type of physical build, there are certain physical limitations where you don't think you could do anything, right? Like, could, like, could you be a great ballet dancer, do you think? I don't think I could. Why? Don't think I have the body type for it. <laughs> well, I mean, you could be good at it, it just might not look good when you're doing it. <laughs> like, you could, you could do a great pirouette, but maybe you don't look great in a bodysuit. Also, don't, don't ballet dancers retire by our age? Uh, I'm past my prime. Well, so that's another interesting factor right that kind of also points to the fact that it's not just developed skill that makes you good at something because if it was developed skill then as ballet dancers get older would they not sure. be better we both we're both almost too old to be a running back right now your body your body can only do i'm, I'm too old to be running back for sure <laughs> <laughs> certain certain professions have age limits if i got tackled i would it would be like wow someone tackled that old guy look how much his body broke <laughs> wow okay i didn't know he was in that many parts before wow is this what osteoporosis is <laughs> Is that what that means? I remember him as one solid piece before this. These are old human parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there are, so we, we can agree there are some physical things, right? Where like, if you just aren't certain size, if you just aren't particularly beefy. I'm going to agree uh, with that. So if, if we're going to agree with that, yeah. then why do we not agree with the idea that some of those physical traits could be just in your brain? Well, I mean, I do think like, let's say you have dyslexia, you're probably, no one's going to call you a talented writer. Right. Like I think talent, if your idea of talent is just like a thing you are, uh, it's easy for you to do somehow. I don't even know if I want to say easy. Like you can, it's not a huge uphill battle for you to continue doing this thing and get good at it. But if you had some, uh, some disability that would prevent you from doing it, you're probably not going to get good at it and nobody's going to call you talented at it. Even if you did get good at it. But then there are all the stories of people that do. People exactly overcome. That. People overcome. overcome the odds. But they don't. They're, no one's calling them talented when they're a kid, right? They've overcome something because everybody said well, they couldn't know. do it. Isn't like, that the story? Like was Stevie Wonder considered a talented kid? I don't know. Siri. <laughs> <laughs> Siri, who sounds like a keyboard. Was young Stevie Wonder considered talented? Um, well, I think in a lot of those situations, when it comes specifically to like artistic things or like creative things, yeah. Which is not to say that like football isn't creative, but maybe it's a little less creative than you know, writing, creative writing or something. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of the situations, people overcoming some disability or odd or something they have not, not in their favor um, is actually somewhat to their advantage, right? Like if you maybe are dyslexic, maybe that means you think about words totally differently and you're capable of writing a different kind of poetry that somebody who is bound to the way that certain words and letters should work just could never write because of how sort of ingrained in their brain that was. Yeah. Um, I mean, similar like, you know, lots of music composers and uh, musicians, famous musicians are blind and Mozart, I believe it was, was famously largely deaf. Yeah. Uh, and the way he kind of composed and perceived music was visually. Yeah. And then it happened to also sound good to us, but it was a different kind of, he was looking, he, his perspective was different on it, which meant that the outcomes were surprising often to other people. Right. At least that's how I've internalized Actually, wasn't that. that the story of Kandinsky? He was, he had synesthesia. Isn't that what it's called? Where you kind of interpret things. I didn't know that, things that would make as, sense. Isn't that what the condition is called? Where you interpret things as colors? Uh, synesthesia specifically means, I think the definition is that you can interpret one sense as another. 
Um, right. So you can... You heard a sound like, and somehow it's perceived as a color or you... Yeah, like 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 a smell has a color to you. Like, oh yeah, this is a very purple yeah. color, smell. And it's like, what? How's that a purple smell? Or, you know, a sound looks away to you or something. So a thing that would be normal to him is very new and exciting to everybody else. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or he's able to put something together in a way that we wouldn't expect because his brain works differently. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, I think people's brains working differently is oftentimes considered an advantage. You're very creative. You're very, you know, whatever. And then at some point it crosses a line where we're like, oh, no, now your brain works so differently. We're not going to call it creative anymore. You're just broken. <laughs> like, <laughs> like you know, dyslexia, dyslexia is not creative creativity. You're just, right. you're not doing it right. And if, if you would just do it right more, then, you know. There's that would a be scale a of things that are acceptable for your brain to do in society. In a totally different context, you might be better at something else. But mm-hmm. because we've decided that these are the rules, you're broken and damaged and wrong and you should leave. But that's the thing. If we're going to have a concession that some physical traits like parts of your actual physiology the biology that makes up your human body yeah. would make you better or worse at something in ways that you necessarily maybe you can still affect them but like the the, the boundaries are different right like if you are naturally five feet tall uh, you can go work out all you want but you are never going to be as physically capable as somebody who is maybe six and a half feet tall at a lot of sports sure you can be on the the absolute upper end of how good you can be at five feet tall but your your sort of range is adjusted right because we're talking about basketball specifically we're not talking about Horse jockeys. Well, even like, well, yeah, exactly. So, what me being a horse jockey not going to work so great, Because right. uh, I'm 185 pounds and six foot one, so that's not going to be that horse is going to be unhappy. You picked a really terrible medium where you're a terrible horse jockey and a terrible basketball player. I know, I'm right in the middle. Couldn't <laughs> you be good at, at anything? I'm just good at being a normal, attractive man. <laughs> 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 but I think if we're going to make that concession, we have to also make the concession that things that are also physical, like your brain chemistry is a physical condition. Right? Yeah, the way your brain happens to work is part of your biology. It's just not something you can see and point to and go, ha, they're a tall person. Like, they should play basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to also make the concession that there are certain things that people are just naturally better at. So where we started off, I think I now kind of disagree. And I, I wonder if we just want to feel that way because it makes us feel like we're in control. Wait, we want to feel that way, the way that we can be better at a thing if yeah. we try? I mean, I, I, don't, I, I don't mean to say, we, obviously, I still think there's... I think you could still get a lot better at anything you wanted to get good at. I don't think yeah. I don't really think there's something that would preclude you from ever getting good at something. But I, I may mean that, like, depending on certain physical attributes of your actual physiology, the how good you get at something might be limited, or uh, you know how you you may be able to become a quite a quite a good cook, but maybe you just don't have a good sense of smell, and you can never become a great cook because. Yeah. Without a sense of smell, you don't really know how things... You can't tell when something's burning, or you can't tell, you know, whatever. But because of that, I made an amazingly new and unique burning dish. Little did you know that... <laughs> Matt's famous on-fire on fire chicken. <laughs> but what that, 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 That's a sucky thing to admit, though. I don't like the idea that I couldn't be great at something if I really put my mind to it. I'm still not totally on board with this. Wasn't this, wasn't this generally the idea of an aptitude test in school? Like a kind of outdated idea that we don't use anymore? Where you take an aptitude test and then they say, well, you're going to be a great plumber one day. You're going to be a great, I don't know I what, don't know. astronaut? I don't know what it was actually based on. I know you filled some stuff out and say someone gave you a result, but I don't know what they're actually testing for. I've never had those when I was growing up, but that does. So I think, I think it's possible to agree with the idea that there may be certain things people have some predetermined... You know, and I don't. I don't hate using words like predetermined. No, not, it sounds not like somebody, by God. It sounds like something up there is in God control. God didn't bless you like, with ah, the yes. ability to be a great cook. Ah, yes, LeBron. You but maybe shall be you the did. Greatest dunker. But maybe genetically, you have a better sense of smell or or sense of smell. Yeah, or something else that's even more difficult to actually like label and point to and put and like put a name on, right? Like something yeah. in your brain with the way that you process electrical signals. Not a diagnosed learning disability, but 
something you can't even detect that maybe is going to make you a little bit worse of the thing you want to do. Well, yeah. So I think it's okay to accept that that exists and also not have the hubris to say that we would be able to give somebody a simple test and actually <laughs> determine whether or not that was like which exactly where you are on all these different spectrums, um, especially as a young kid, because I feel like sometimes there's like latent. This is funny. That I'm basically going the opposite direction of what we, well, I started out. Yeah. Idea but like, yeah, sometimes I feel like there are examples of like latent skills or talents where like, Somebody just never had the opportunity to try X, but as soon as they got behind the wheel of a car, uh, it turns out they're really good at racing because they don't have fear, they really like adrenaline, and uh, they happen to be just fairly natural at understanding like spatial relationships and how what angle to take a turn at right. uh, to sort of you know get the most speed out of it. Um, so I think it is possible, and now I feel like I'm just in the opposite of where I started. This is something people point out on the show a lot, where like, I'll say a thing, and maybe on that episode, maybe 10 episodes later, maybe 100 episodes later, it's something totally opposite. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, wait a minute, you said this other thing. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I believe both those things in a lot of ways. Because well, I- we, we have this horrible term, flip-flopper, where we, everybody's supposed to have an idea, uh-huh. stick to it for their whole life, despite the evidence, because if you don't, then you're a bad person, because you mm-hmm. change your mind, like some sort of an idiot who would... Uh, well, not be suitable for the presidency. Well, it's funny how important that is in political offices. I think what people are responding to is if they vote for somebody, they don't want that person to turn out different than they thought. Right. Right? Like, I voted for you on these things that you said you were going to do, and the idea that you would change your mind means that I don't really know who I voted for. Which... It makes a lot of sense. Which is exactly... In a, in a short period of time. It makes much less sense when it gets brought up over, like, a 20 to 30-year span where people learn not things. not even in a short period of time. Like, so, uh, you know, Donald Trump is... Well, he's a bad example because he's so crazy. Let's, let's, let's say that, you know... Some other presidential candidate says that they are uh, against immigration for these reasons. Uh, they may get into in the presidential office and be taken into the secret room where they tell you all the secret stuff. And all of a sudden, some numbers laid out for them where it's just like, oh, now that I see this fact, of course, I think something different. Like, it's not like you're slowly changing and evolving as a person. You mm-hmm. may just have new information come to light yeah. and be able to change your mind then. Um, but on, on this show specifically, I think what's happening is like, I don't know if any of these things are true. I just like to explore the possible justifications for each of them and then i feel like oftentimes people will bring up one of them out of the context of a justification and then they're shocked when i stand up for the other side but like i will argue for both sides of something especially if i feel like there's not one true answer like i i could very easily see myself arguing there is is talent and there is not this is debate club and i handed you a topic you just you stole my topic by the way how how did you hand me a topic just by saying i'm i could be i'm the best cook yeah i do do it once a year you took the one side of the hat i was supposed to take the other side then you took my side so what am I supposed to do I was now? never in debate club, but I think I would have really enjoyed it. I think that would have been your thing. Yeah. Except I bet you it would drive you crazy. Isn't there the version of modern debate where you get points for the number of points you make? And so people just talk as fast as they possibly can to make all the points? That is, I think, what like formalized debate club is. But I'm really good at speaking quickly. So I would just, you know, I have a natural talent for that. <laughs> I would be naturally good at that just because of how fast my lips go. That sounded weird. But I don't think either. <laughs> I, I tend to agree. Actually, I don't know if I agree with this. I don't think we're going to find out that either is true. I don't think we're going to find enough information to, to know if either is true. That doesn't make me think that there isn't an actual, like, if we had all the information and science solved every problem it could possibly solve, that we wouldn't learn that some people are just better at some things and some people are better at other things, not based on God-given talent, in quotes, but whatever their genetic... You're saying you don't think we'd ever know enough to know that. I don't think we're ever going to know enough to know that, but it doesn't mean I don't See, think there's something there. I, I do pretty firmly believe that, like... Almost everything is knowable. Like, mm. you know, I think it's very easy. But it's to just s- about a long enough timeline. Well, but I also think that timeline is rapidly accelerating. Like, you know, 
if you go back to like prior to germ theory, yeah. like people would have absolutely said, well, we're never going to know why people get sick. Like it's impossible to know that. So we need to do, do the best job we can, you know, predicting what things are going to make them better because we're never going to know that. And until, you know, this revolutionary theory and thing came along that was proven and then it totally changes how you perceive the entire world. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think it's impossible. And, and the brain is one of the things that we, we actually know we know very little about. We know very little about almost everything, but most things we have the idiocy to think we know things about but the brain we're actually like yeah no we don't really <laughs> there's some electricity in there and it bounces around this muscle and i don't know i just poked this one side and he fell over i don't know what happened <laughs> yeah, i don't know what's going on um so i think it's, it is knowable um but i think what it comes down to here is like the practical ramifications of this which is I, i'm not interested in us we're not going to figure it out sitting at this table right now no which one is which no matter how because if i type into google right it. now you're going to hear the keyboard and it's going to be very distracting so there's no way we're going to find out what's actually happening. Yeah, until after when you can Google it. But I don't think we're going to figure it out. So I think the reason I always find myself playing devil's advocate in discussions like this of all kinds of topics is because oftentimes people use one side as a justification for some behavior. And it's like, well, we don't really actually know anything. So to use this as a justification for anything is yeah. kind of a bad idea. Uh, so for example, you could say like, well... For these reasons, uh, I believe that uh, inherent talent is a thing. So because we know that a tall person is going to be better at basketball than this uh, short person of the exact same other traits, and because we know that uh, our brains are physical things made of combinations of chemicals and electricity and, you know, other biological traits, uh, because we know all this stuff, I'm going to say for sure that natural talent is a thing. Therefore, I am not going to try to become good at something because I must not have a talent for it, right? Right. Uh, Therefore... Uh, I'm going to discourage my children from, you know, practicing things that they are clearly bad at. Uh, like, geez, Jimmy, you play field hockey every spring and you always are the worst on the team. Why are you still playing field hockey? Just stop doing that. Uh, and that's where I think anytime you use something that we don't really have figured out yet, because we don't know, right? Yeah. I think someday we can know, and maybe even in our lifetimes we might, we might figure it out, uh, we being collective humanity. Uh, but it's be silly to say right now that we do know. And so yeah. if we don't, then I'll always be the one on the opposite side, you can flip it on the other way. Someone else could say, like, uh, natural talent doesn't matter at all, so uh, I am going to go and become, uh, my life's goal is to become the best, uh, you know, ultimate frisbee player, and I got one arm. And it's like, okay, you could become a pretty good ultimate frisbee playing one arm, but I wouldn't, you know, put all your other dreams on, on the sidelines for that, because there are reasons I could think why that would be particularly challenging for you. So I always find myself playing both sides, because it seems ridiculous to use either side as a justification for any behavior or theology i guess that is the scary part is coming up with some sort of dogma based on a kind of hazy idea of how the world works yeah even even if it's not uh, well it is kind of a dogma i guess but people always perceive this like devil's advocacy as like a negativity but i actually i feel like cynicism and like trying really hard to understand the opposite side of what it is you are inherently like led to believe it's like one of the most important things. I just think of it as like checks and balances in reality, making sure nobody goes too far off the rails. So like, let's, before you go too crazy on this idea that could be really damaging and based on nothing, mm-hmm. let's, let's talk about the other side for a second and think, hmm, maybe not true at all, or yeah. maybe like, maybe enough holes in your theory that you're not going to pursue it uh, to a crazy degree, or you're going to pursue it and you're consider other options and make your idea better because uh, you're not just putting your head in the sand and or trucking forward 100% without really knowing what's going on. Yeah. But it's something I really believe in, and it's really hard. Like, you can't... So often, people's response to me saying, 
well, here's the other side of this thing you just said is like, why are you being negative? Why are you explaining things? Why are you being so critical? You're always so blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I don't do it in a way it's angry. I don't think. Uh, I don't know how to approach these conversations in a way that is like more positive. Yeah. Because, I mean, like, people on Twitter, I saw something on Twitter once uh, tweeted something. It was just, uh, whenever someone tells you they're being the devil's advocate, just tell them the devil already has enough advocates. And I was like, well, I was like, well, I could explain why that doesn't make any sense, but you clearly don't want that explanation. Because, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of all, the people, you just of all posted, the people to tweet back at. Uh, yeah, play devil's advocate here. That's not what devil's advocate really means, but uh, we don't actually believe in the devil. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, I wish there was a way to... I feel like it's, in some ways, like the quest of this show is to try and have those conversations without being like downer jerks. Everything is on the table. And some people still think without. we're downer jerks. Everything should be on the table without the worry that you're going to be called a jerk. Well, but I, would be ni- I mean, it would be nice in life. I don't, even, I don't even want it to be entirely about my fragile, my fragile sense of self, which is part of it. Like, no one likes being called a jerk or being called negative. Uh, that's certainly a, a factor. But also, like, as a society, I think we need to be better at having these conversations. Like, that's why no one likes a flip-flopping politician, because no one is comfortable with any unknowns mm-hmm. in anything. So for you to not have an opinion means that you're, uh, you know waffly person with no spine and for you to change your opinion means that you're a flip-flopper and you uh you know don't actually stand up for what you believe in and you are you know liable to be manipulated by forces uh but those are like the most important things especially for somebody who's like working in government i would love to see a politician who just says i i don't have an opinion about that yet i don't know you just asked me about it now i don't know as opposed to here's i've I only heard about that right now but here's the party line Here's exactly that has how to I have feel been about tried, it. and because when none of our politicians are like that, I have to assume it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, I'm not aware of it yet, or I don't have a plan for it yet. But I'm going to learn about it because it seems important. Something on Twitter told me that John Roderick specifically said this thing about the issue of licensing cyclists in Seattle. He was asked about it, and he was like, "I don't know. I'm going to go Google it and figure out about it." And everyone responded really negatively, apparently. Whether you believe that it requires special talent you're born with or a skill you hone over the ages to do something, maybe you don't have that skill or talent. Maybe you weren't born with it. Maybe you just don't want to go out there and earn it. Well, there's probably a way you can do it easier. Mm -hmm. You don't have to have talent. You can just buy the thing that you want. In some circumstances, the whole value of of civilization is that not everyone has to do everything. Like, we don't have to go back to hunter-gatherer. We don't have to go back to this place where everybody was individually responsible for everything. We have specialization. We have the Industrial Revolution. So, you, listener, you don't have to go and acquire the skills to make a website. You don't have to be born with them because you can just buy those things. You can just go to squarespace.com and get a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level and no coding required. They have talented coders doing it for you. It's professionally designed and built by people that were either born with it or they learned it over time. Who we're, knows? We but have who no cares? Idea. What it, oh, however they got that skill, they have it and they made a great product for you to buy. They made something that is intuitive and easy to use. And when you sign up for a year, you get a free domain. A free domain, which is a big deal. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code GRID. Get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for On The Grid. It's not even going to cost you that much money to buy the time and attention of all of these skilled, talented people. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting 5x5 and On The Grid. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Squarespace, the product of the industrial revolution that allows for specialization across different jobs and luxury and freedom of time to do whatever you want to pursue. Regardless of skill level. Regardless of skill level. 
So if we're gonna if we're gonna admit that it seems like some degree of talent is a thing, I, my, my my current feeling is that this is probably a thing that we have absolutely no idea in most circumstances yeah. what combination of biological traits would actually cause you to be good at something, but. Someday we might be able to figure it out. Yeah, my take is talent doesn't mean what everybody seems to think it means. Like, I don't think what it people, is... What do people seem to think it means? You have a God-given gift to be really good at a thing. But, I mean, if you take out the God-given part... Maybe it's a little bit true. How is it, how is it different from what we're saying? Which it's not is as like, simplistic. Which is like, your brain is... Uh, re- you, have a, you have a good... Like, a perfect example. Uh, some people in my life have no rhythm. They cannot clap along with a song. Which three, two, one. Oh, miss. Ah. So I don't know what that is. Like, if that's a learnable thing, like some of these people are in my life are much older. They would have learned. But if it was learnable at this point, people surely would have learned yeah. how to clap along with something. Uh, and at the same time, I have two year old nephews that can just clap along with something before they can even be taught their ABCs mm-hmm. because they just can. So that's a thing, right? And whether you think it's God-given or the roll of the dice of genetics and, you know, biology and all the weird combinations of things that happen in chromosomes when a fetus is formed. Yeah. That's the same thing, right? Could it just be, I know this is going to sound kind of funny, but it could just be that they listen to like really terrible music without giving it much thought. They don't really care about it that much. It's not something they put time and effort into. You're saying that the people that can't or clap along just maybe never actually tried to learn it? Or it's just maybe they listen to really hyper-simplistic music, and so they never had to get any more advanced than... But all, but all music, hyper-simplistic or bad, has a beat. Like, that's the yeah. thing. Can they even do, they can't even do a 4-4 beat? No. We're talk, I'm, I'm talking about my dad here. My dad can't clap along to anything. I was wondering who you were talking about. I'm Clearly you had dad. somebody in mind. I'm talking about my dad. He's Sorry, a dad. wonderful man. He, uh, he just can't clap along to things. Uh, and I don't really know why. So, and then, yeah, I have a nephew who is... In his bloodline, he inherited some of his genetic material. <laughs> he that clapping that, genetics. That, you know, from the age of two was just like, yep, yeah, here we go, I'm doing it. Uh, and that's the thing where it's like, I don't know what causes that, but we can look at that and say, something tells me that this child yeah. more likely could be able to do something involving music than my father, mm-hmm. who at 67 still can't super clap along to a song. Uh, so we may not know what that thing is, but I think it's there. I think we can agree. To some that degree. There, we'll probably find something. There's something to be found. We just don't know what it is. That we can call, maybe we can call it talent at some point. Sure. Yeah. I, I, th- I think talent is just a combination of like other things. We'll, we'll, what we'll probably do is we'll end up calling all the not talent to different diseases. <laughs> <laughs> Look, once we've solved all the life threatening ones, we'll move on to the diseases that cause you to not be able to clap right. And then we'll just decide that's a disease because yeah. everybody who's not perfect is broken. Um, so. If we can look at the nephew that can clap and say, okay, maybe, you know, we're not going to go ahead and like adjust life plans and, you know, send the kid to a music school or whatever, but maybe this person slightly more physically, biologically capable of learning music more quickly than somebody else. Uh, what are those things that we would look at somebody and say, like, maybe they would be better at a better designer than somebody else? You have good eyesight, number one. Does that matter? Does it? I don't know. I, I have pretty good eyesight. I don't need to wear glasses. I do also have good eyesight. I'm, I'm the only person in my office that doesn't wear glasses. I'm also, I'm a man who is not colorblind. That is somewhat rare. I'm also not colorblind. Um, those could have been two things that push us in it anyway. Like, hey, you can, you can see the thing. You can pay attention to it. You know that these colors are different than each other. Mm-hmm. My father is colorblind. He can't pick out a tie for himself. My dad is also colorblind. I'm sure that would have been a detriment to him if he had to 
differentiate between two colors or create some sort of palette. And this is where we get into the same sort of scenario where, like, if somebody's listening and is colorblind and is like, oh, I guess I can't be a designer. No, that's not what we're saying at all. Actually, the the guy I did the previous podcast with who was on this show, I don't know what, 50 episodes ago, maybe. No, mm-hmm. 100 episodes ago, a while ago, Aaron. He was colorblind. Terrible designer, right? Not a terrible designer. <laughs> no, it's the thing. Is like, I, I think it's okay to admit that, I mean, I, I wonder if these are features that would make us more inclined to practice design or practice design related things as a young kid and end up doing what we do now yeah um do you, is do you think there's some innate like appreciation for beauty and if there is do you think you have want that i don't know if i do i tend to and be I, the guy. I, I do not want to go down the road of like what is or is not beautiful but there are people that just when they find something they on their own personal you know context and their own sort of value system they decide to be beautiful they value that thing more highly than somebody else who something they also think is beautiful they just don't care about it being beautiful that's a hard one for me because maybe maybe this is the one where we're talking about my disability but <laughs> my second question was going to be if that is a thing people have do you think you have it i don't think of anything as like i don't look at something and go oh that is just that is beautiful that is stunning but you i know? get very i get very excited about how things work and what then about, finding out like how a they nice think sunset doesn't i mean I'm not saying I'm inhuman and I don't appreciate it, <laughs> but I don't think I have some. I don't think there's something in me that makes me more excited than anybody else would be. You describe one of your friends that like once burst into tears because a cute puppy came into the room. Yes, I don't have That's that. That's not you. That's not me. Mm-hmm. So that person maybe really values cuteness. Maybe they'd be a good vet, sure, or a good designer of plush toys. I, I, I wonder, like, if this is purely hypothetical, like, what are those things that could possibly be? For me, I do think I, I definitely have. Like, I value whatever I consider to be beauty yeah. pretty highly. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's like, I get really excited about, like, a nice wool sweater. Like, just looking at it and touching it. I'm like, oh, this is so beautiful. This is great. What an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't really directly relate to graphic design. Uh, but, like, my entire life growing up, what I've always wanted to do is just make stuff. Like, just make things. doesn't matter yeah. what it is. Uh, it was... You know, for a long time, it was like weird, crappy woodworking stuff when I was a teenager. And before that, it was things out of Legos and it was drawing things. And because when you're a kid and you're very young, there's no means of making something other than drawing. Like drawing is the easiest way you can make something because you're allowed to have crayons and paper and the limits are not a ton of limits there. If if I could have been, you know, carving things out of foam and building 3D structures, I would have probably been doing that instead. But it wasn't available to me at the time. So I just really like making things and we've talked about my sort of value on self-expression and how <coughs> that's a weirdly important thing to me yeah um and so if there's anything that like intrinsic in me that pushed me towards becoming a designer it was that whatever that is that makes me want to make stuff i think mine would be a little bit closer to that not so much identifying beauty and being really stunned by it but getting really excited about how stuff works and then making it and like always having a project of some sort Maybe maybe you'd really like being a programmer. You ever think about that? Um, maybe a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I do. I do get a lot of joy out of uh, the little bit of programming I can do and mm-hmm. making it run. Because um, that to me is kind of like if you take, if you don't have a huge value on like beautiful things, and I think a part of valuing beautiful things is not being able to like strictly label it. because yeah. you can't in yeah. a lot of ways. Um, so if you don't have that value, I feel like the programmers I know all have the Really want to know how things really care about how things work. Really like to make things. Really like to like tinker around and understand the sort of nuts and bolts of something. Mm-hmm. Um, many of them don't have the like. This is a beautiful piece of art, or this is a beautiful you know 
photograph or a beautiful natural landscape or a beautiful building. Yeah. Uh, which I have a lot of that. I constantly am thinking about those weird things. Well, the things that pushed my buttons really early were realizing that logos had concepts to them and mm -hmm. seeing that people were trying to create something. And then also like the structure of typefaces and fonts and stuff and realizing like, oh, here's a really functional thing, an alphabet. Mm -hmm. but look at all the variations on an alphabet. And it's a combination of uh, the little details that mm -hmm. are both unimportant and very important. Mm -hmm. uh, and the very functional piece of like, you can, you can be done and then you can set a whole book in it. And then somebody can read it and get the information. Mm -hmm. that, so, so I think purely you made programming. A, you made a very complicated modular drawing that somebody interpreted as complex ideas. Yes. Yeah. So I think the programming part is would be a part of it. It's very exciting because it's there's a lot of programming come in together. type design now. There's yeah. A lot of Python and whatever. But there's also the the kind of fun in maybe it's the mystery of the little details that like I love getting all the little details right mm -hmm. on whether it be the front end of a website or of a typeface or little pieces of the logo, uh, the combination of the concept or the nuts and bolts coming together with the little, I guess for me, the visual details and making those things to work together. That's why it's way more exciting than just a painting. And it's way more exciting than only the back end of something. That's funny. Now I'm thinking about it. I can take most design work that I can just imagine and kind of put it on two spectrums. And one spectrum is how much it values beauty. And one spectrum is how much it values like I don't know the right word for it, but like the, the how it works, like how much it values the like functionality of yeah. it. Uh, and there's a, there's a whole, you know, obviously like what we do, a lot of this like web product work, or if you're working on like an app or something, I feel like the designers that work on apps tend to very much value the how things work, the functionality, and maybe somewhat value beauty, maybe not. It's kind of a, you know, rounding error if that's a thing that matters. And then, you know, I feel like type design is a good example when it's kind of in the middle, right? You, people yeah. value both things. You have to value both. Like, if you only cared about utility, you wouldn't make any more typefaces because there's already plenty of perfectly practical typefaces out there. Why and would you, you make only... another song, Andy? Well, because you care about beauty. That's why. <laughs> uh, you care about beauty. You care about self-expression. And so if you care about, uh, if you just care about utility, I feel like you wouldn't do type design. If you just cared about beauty, then you would probably do something else other than type design because of how much practical consideration is, is, is involved in it. You'd probably go insane having to draw character like... 63,000 characters. Yeah, but if you, you value both, else. then it's the perfect kind of thing for you. And yeah. then on the other side, you get all the way up to like, you know, people doing like illustrations for editorial pieces in newspapers, and you get people like doing designing wallpapers and designing, you yeah. know, uh, some stuff like that. That's very much on the appreciation for beauty, and the utility is like, well, what's really the utility in this wallpaper design? Probably not a whole lot. Uh, and so I feel like that spectrum is kind of really important. And I wonder if people would benefit from. I wonder if I would have benefited from younger, as a younger designer, thinking about that and being more aware of it. Because I always felt like there was this weird tension between people that were just like, this looks good, and me going insane. Because I was like, but who, why, yeah. what about this other thing? Uh, and maybe I just, I'm more on that other spectrum. How do you think of it? I, I keep, keep saying it pushes my buttons as in like, I'm imagining someone sitting at a keyboard, hitting a button, and the thing lights up in my brain. And you get a little shot of like uh, yeah. serotonin or whatever. And other things just don't seem to do that for me. So I'm just reacting. Maybe talent is just like the, the, the little lights in my brain that go off and go. Oh, totally. Oh, that, very more satisfying. More of this. More super, of this. Super, super satisfying. Let's just do that. Yeah. Or maybe, I mean, it's probably, I'm sure that's the same thing for like a heroin addict where you're like, Oh, this thing is really great. Let's just keep doing this until you burn out. It's just somehow we've managed to do that with <laughs> Which a job. Which is funny because I feel like it's always your response when we talk about like 
maybe someday we'll be able to understand this part of our chemistry. And you're like, well, let's make a drug for it then. And then who cares? Everything, <laughs> everything doesn't matter. Isn't that the, where it goes though? Well, I, like, I think it is theoretically conceivable that we could make a drug that would make somebody <clears throat> be more intrinsically talented at something. Yeah, I think that's possible. Or, or I mean, the, in, in the same the way, way that like taking Viagra makes you better at sex. Like, well, actually, sure. That's one way of taking it. The other way to take it would be like, you just make a drug that gives you the feeling of making a great website. <laughs> 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 and you're just making a really bad website, but you feel really good about it. You're not doing anything. You're sitting on the couch and you get the great website. I think we already button. have that drug. I think it is called heroin, right? You feel real good and you don't do anything. How would you describe heroin to someone? It's if you ever finished a really great website? It's just like that. Well, I mean, my understanding of like a simplistic vision of why like substance abuse can be a real problem is that it does give you all of the feelings of like your life being good yeah without your life actually being good at all like you get the feelings of like close personal relationships you get the feelings of of joy you get the feelings of whatever but you are not doing any of the actual things that cause that and then it becomes to the point where your life is so bad that without those drugs you are just ruined because you realize how terrible your life is it's a general idea um but yeah i think it seems possible that we could have a drug that would make you get excited about the same things that like a master architect gets excited about not the things that require technical knowledge right yeah now, like wow this math worked out so perfectly that we can vault this ceiling this correct angle um but but yeah you say you say you have these things to push your buttons it's hard for me to think of something that, i mean that doesn't kind of a little bit nothing there's nothing you don't enjoy well eggplant for example, a slimy eggplant. I mean, I like eggplant. I, I, I just, just got, I spent most of lunch explaining all the different delicious ways you can cook eggplant. Just that people do it badly a lot or do it in a way that I don't particularly like. Doesn't push often. your buttons, you'd say. Well, I, I feel I have a personal stake in eggplant, too, because so many people just think eggplant is a bad vegetable because yeah. I've only ever had it prepared in one slimy way. Right. But it's an extremely versatile vegetable. You can prepare it lots of ways. It's actually a fruit, technically. Because um, it got seeds. I think it's a fruit. The only thing it like, doesn't, that like, I don't get joy out of is when people don't have any reason for something right like when i think about work that i get nothing out of or it frustrates me it's always work that seems like it's totally missed something uh, but i can i feel like i can really appreciate things that are just beautiful and provide no other utility I feel like i can really appreciate things that are just utilitarian like one of my favorite things you mean so the reason for something being just beautiful is the reason is beauty and that's acceptable that like that doesn't bother you i, I don't know if you would like enjoy walking around like a modern art gallery for an afternoon I would, yes. Okay. Would That's the thing I do. Would you enjoy walking around like the, you know, Baroque art gallery in like the Met for an afternoon? Yes. Okay. So you do appreciate those things when there's no utility in like a portrait of an old white dude. Right. Okay. But there's um, also, history is a whole other thing. History is very interesting to me. And some people just don't care about history, which is, I think, how I was when I was younger. Uh, but for me, like looking at old paintings like that, it's about history. It's about the culture of whatever the time that piece was made in. It's mm -hmm. about the actual craft of making it and understanding... Yeah all the complexity that went into actually getting a certain pigment because they didn't have artificial means of pigment creation. So it was all natural pigments and yep. all that stuff is all wrapped up in it. It makes it interesting to me. And actually, to be fair, we use painting as an example of a pointless thing, but like you go to a museum like that, you see a lot of the paintings. Well, the reason There's usually a pretty good reason. The reason all the paintings are that is because uh, that was who could afford them and they wanted to be somehow, you know, remembered in time. Right. Uh, which to them seemed utilitarian. And to us, it's like, well, we have photos now, so this is ridiculous and frivolous. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I think in many points in history, like painting, really, I don't think painting was freed from utility until the invention of photography. And then we have right. Impressionism and you have Modernism and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I feel like 
a thing with me and there's like I don't, I don't appreciate scary movies. We talked about that. Like, yeah, we have talked about. That's that. the thing is not push my buttons, uh, or maybe it does push all the wrong buttons too hard. <laughs> like, <laughs> I really don't like it. Um, but a, a thing about me and culture is like I, I feel like I like most things that anybody gives like an earnest recommendation for. Which is why we did yeah. the happy ending for so long in the show. Is like somebody who really loves something. If they can explain why they love it, I can almost always come to love it in a similar way. Right. Um, and it would probably be, probably even be true of scary movies if I could just get over the like fight or flight reaction that I like intrinsically have to them. Like if I could actually sit down and watch it and not feel terrible the entire time, like I was going to die, yeah. uh, then I probably would enjoy them in a similar way. To be fair, there are some kinds of scary movies I can't deal with because they rely on cheap tricks, like a jump scare. Yeah. If I ever see a jump scare, I, I'm done. I hate it so much. It's terrible. Because it's a really easy way to trigger your flight or flight thing. And it feels terrible. But if and there's it a feels big, like you're going to die. If it's a big, long story that you're scared of, like, conceptually. I still don't like that either. Not, not into it? I mean, I, th- I think part of it is even with a movie like that, like, I'm always on edge expecting there to be a jump square equivalent thing. You know, like, there's no, there's no jump scares or anything in The Shining, right? Mm-hmm. There's nothing in that movie that... <laughs> there are a couple, but... Not really. I mean, there's a few, like cuts were like oh now there's a weird old lady corpse in this shower or yeah. now there's blood coming out of the elevator but it doesn't it happen slowly like it's not like they're surprising you yeah uh but still the entire movie all of my muscles are tensed up because i feel like something terrible is going to happen which is the feeling they're trying to give you and they yes. succeed yep and my reaction to that is very negative but yeah like we talked about how it wasn't a metal music either if you or somebody else who really loved metal sat down and said look here's what's great about this particular genre of metal here's normal or some metal i don't like versus metal i do like listen to these differences uh like we, this is basically comes back to the conversation we were having a little while ago which i feel like you can develop taste at something like you can yeah. i've always felt i could be taught to like something either by myself or somebody else almost no matter what it was and to value it a little bit maybe we'll have a metal podcast sometime where i'll i'll tell you about technical skill in guitar playing and how to appreciate it in metal. well i know how to play guitar <laughs> <laughs> I, I can appreciate that i feel like the, the I can best appreciate they're going really fast the metal that i love is the one where you're just like it's an outlet for it's just like the end result of like the most difficult kind of guitar to play kind of in a certain way i bet some people would argue it's not at all the most difficult type of guitar to play i'm sure that's true but mm-hmm. that's my perception of it <laughs> do you like uh hyper-realistic paintings you ever been to what's the name of a couple of hyper-realistic painting artists i remember now you ever seen a hyper-realistic painting? Yes. In, are we, are you person? talking about... Uh, remember we went to that uh, gallery in New York where we saw a bunch oh, yeah, of right. hyper-realistic... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, think I'm talk- I think you're talking about the exact same artist I'm thinking of, and that's I can't possible. think of his last name. Whatever. But do you appreciate... Like, is, is that a similar thing? Like, there, yeah, like, here, actually, very much so. Here is a technical skill that has been cranked up so far that it's, like, obsessive, and actually, the result that, is, like, uh, inhuman. Is that what metal is like for you? Where it's Kind like of. Somebody- I find it hyper-enjoyable because it's, like... You get to, you get to stand. You, get, it's, you stand in front of like a twenty foot painting, and you look at the look at the little details and wonder how any human being could do this. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a similar. I like. I do like the feeling of how did this happen? <laughs> how could somebody do this? I find that enjoyable. Does that ever get old for you? Uh, it's not like a thing I do constantly. It is a novelty, right? Like the is how it? could how could somebody attach fifty million paper clips together into one paperclip chain? Like I guess that's it is. interesting for a few minutes, and then after that, it's like okay. Yeah, well, chain, I guess it. if I had to put it this way, it's not something I'm pursuing constantly, but when it comes up, I really enjoy it. This has been On the Grid episode 150. Hey, a special number. Oh, that's like 50 times 3. That one seems... 
seems special, you know, because it ends in a zero. On this special episode on the grid, I want you to go to iTunes, search for on the grid, find us, leave a review, say something nice, mm-hmm. and give us five stars. Give us five stars. It's very helpful. You, you know what? You know what we don't want? We don't want four garbage stars. Well, what can you buy with four stars, Matt? Nothing. Nothing. I mean, I don't want five one star. Stars I prefer if you had to give us four stars over one, I'd prefer it. But give us five stars. If you give us one star, that's like giving us negative four stars. It's helpful for the show. We don't really understand why, but if you give us ratings, we go up in the charts, and then maybe more people hear us. We really like the validation of simple points. So thank you. Podcasting is a game. We want to win. Thank you for rating on the grid. Thank you to Dan for the interlude music. Thanks, Thanks to Glassboy for the ad music. Thanks, Glassboy. Thanks to Girlfriends for the theme music. Thanks. Our girlfriends are out shopping. Otherwise, we could thank them. And finally, thanks to you for listening. They didn't actually make the music. It was a band called Girlfriends. Until next week. Clever band name. I've never even heard of the idea, really. Licensing Seriously, a cyclist? licensing cyclists. I mean, I, I could, I could already imagine the arguments on both sides. Like, I can imagine the people that are motorists that are saying, like, "Well, if we're supposed to be on the roads and have all the rights of cars. Why don't we have to be licensed like we do?" Uh, and I can also see cyclists that are obviously, you know, you're not piloting a vehicle that weighs five thousand pounds that could murder people if you make the slightest wrong decision. I can tell what your opinion is based on the voice you gave the people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a little transparent, huh? What is the motor sound like a big dumb idiot? Well, because because hey, cars. <laughs> Andy drove a car to get here. I don't have a car, but Andy drove a car to come see me. Thanks, Matt. Mm-hmm.